Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Azban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Erevin, daf Kuf Gimel, 103. So I guess we don't want to finish this, you know, Masachat without doing what we typically do, which is I'm actually going to start at the daf before. Um, and on the previous daf on Kuf Bed, there was a really interesting Mishnah. Again, we're in the middle of a series of Mishnahs that are discussing uh, the differences between where shvut, where certain uh, rabbinic prohibitions were enacted in the rest of the country, but were not enacted or were not enforced in the temple itself. And so the Mishnah reads as follows. Koshrin nima bamikdash, avaloba medina, kan vekan asor. Right? So you are allowed to tie up on Shabbat a nima, which is basically a string that probably came loose from a harp or from a stringed instrument that was used in the temple. Um, and again, the thing to really think about here is that these instruments were used on Shabbat, right? Like I, you know, at least for I know how many of us observe Shabbat, the idea of having a service with live music uh, is not something that we're used to. But in the Beit HaMikdash, this was regularly done on Shabbat. Um, but you could not do this in the rest of the country. And in terms of tying the string to this, um, you know, to the harp, the imbat chilat, meaning for the first time, in other words, if you had the, you know, the frame of the harp, but none of the strings were tied yet, that you cannot do on Shabbat, right? So the idea is that if you needed it for a repair, because it's something that you needed to use on Shabbat itself, uh, you were allowed to. And so the Gemara begins with uh, uh, a minhu, right? With a contradiction from Brisekir. Uraminhu, nimat kinur shenifsaka, lohea kushra ela onva, la kasha, ha rabanan, ha right? So it has a brisa that says that if you have a harp string that breaks, you don't tie it, but with a knot, but in other words, you make a bow, right? Because in other words, and what this, the reason why this would be a contradiction is, is that this seems to have a different solution than our Mishnah, right? Which seems to say you're not allowed to tie a knot, but you have to make a bow. And so the Gemara says, no, this isn't really a kasha, right? This, uh, the brisa is in the opinion really of Rabbanan, of the rabbis. Whereas our Mishnah is in the, is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Le Rabbi Eliezer da'ama machshirei mitzvah dochin atah Shabbat koshra. Le Rabbanan da'amri e'dochin onva. Right? Because according to Rabbi Eliezer, he says any preparations that somebody would need to do, right, for a mitzvah override Shabbat, right? So in other words, we would have to have the mitzvah of, well, part of the music was part of the avodah, was part of the service in the Mishkan, which again, I think is so interesting from Rabbi Eliezer's point of view, that music was such an integral part to the service that therefore it was even docha Shabbos, you, you were allowed to, so therefore you could actually nod it. And according to Rabbanan, right, they, who say that ain dochin, that preparations for a mitzvah do not override Shabbat, uh, something that's a sore in Shabbat, and therefore you have to make it into a bow. E Rabbi Eliezer, nami. So now the Gemara says something even more interesting. They said, well, according to this, then, uh, with this concept of, you know, dochen Shabbos, right, that you can even override a prohibition on Shabbat, then according to Rabbi Eliezer, fixing this is lechatchila. And therefore, even the first, you know, the first time of having um, to have to string a harp, you should even be allowed to do, right? Because if you need the harp to perform the mitzvah, of the avoda that is accompanied with music. So then you there's not we shouldn't even make that distinction. So how could this Mishnah be like Rabbi Eliezer, 
right? Because according to this concept of right, that even, you know, even if it's the first time you're using that harp, according to Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, you should be allowed to string this harp. So now they say no, right? The Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, right? And the Brisa is the opinion of the rabbis. So now they're going to explain this. Right? So Rabbi Yehuda, whose opinion was he following? So if it was the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, right, we get back to our same question. Then, then you could even string the, the harp that had not been used yet. No, rather, what is it? It's the opinion of Rabbi Shimon and it's the opinion of Rabbi Nan. Ditanya, right? We learned it at Brisa. Ben Levi, Shanif Suka, Lonima, Bechinor, Koshra. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Onva, right? So I love this. If, uh, uh, if a Levi's harp, you know, gets cut, right? Nif Suka, right? A string, he can tie it, right? And Rabbi Shimon said he can tie it with a knot, right? And Rabbi Shimon says, no, he should make a bow, okay? So basically what we see from this price is, is that the rabbis, right, do allow, right, they do allow preparation for a mitzvah, right, that otherwise couldn't be performed on Shabbat, whereas Rabbi Shimon is strict and says, no, even those things you're not allowed to do. And that's uh, where you would have to tie it in a bow. So again, trying to sort of figure out who holds at Shabbat and who holds Ein Dochin. So in the end, based on this price, we conclude Rabbanan say Dochin at Shabbat, whereas Rabbi Shimon says, no, you're, you're not Dochin. Rabbi Shimon ben Eliezer, ben Eliezer, Mer, so Rabbi Shimon ben Eliezer is going to continue and said, Afi eina mashmat atakol, ela mishal shel milamata bekorech milamala, o mishal shel milamala bekorech milamata, right? And so now they give a very interesting observation about Rabbi Shimon's uh, opinion, right? And that Rabbi Shimon ben Eliezer says the following, even if he ties it in a bow, right? This idea of ena mashmat atakol. The harp is not going to give the correct sound, right? And therefore, what would be happening? He would actually still, right? Some of the commentators say here that actually then he would actually still be doing something not correct on Shabbat because he would be doing the mitzvah not in the correct way, right? This music wouldn't be played the right way because the music wouldn't sound right. Right. Think about it. You don't when you pop a guitar string, you don't just tie it in a bow and then somehow <laughs> it sounds correct. You actually have to string it. And I say this as we have many instruments in my house and we have strings that are breaking on violins and guitars all the time. So therefore, what does he say to do? You unwind the string from the lower right from the lower knob, basically, and it, you wind it around the upper or you unwind it from the upper knob and wind it on the lower. In other words, you basically have to tighten the string depending on where the break is, right? Till you basically tune it correctly. And so I just love this idea. Again, somebody's coming with lots of my husband, for those of you who don't know, is a music teacher, actually. You know, this that like the Gemara really understood something about tuning instruments and how instruments um, are prepared. Not that it's surprising to me, but it's just sort of lovely to see the comment, um, you know, the comments about it here. And then the Gemara goes on to say, the advice, Ama, right? And if you want, you could say, you know, um, that both of these sources, that Mishnah and that Brisa, are both the opinion of the rabbis below Kasha. Right? And so here it's the same idea, right? That one is talking about where the string is cut in the middle, right? And therefore the sound would be affected. So therefore 
you're actually allowed to re you 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 reconnect it, right? Whereas the Bryce is talking about where it's on the side and therefore you could fix it with just doing a bow, right? But the idea of the mission where it says it's a knot, it's because it was in the middle and tying it with a bow the string, right? In a knot as a permanent tie as a knot would be, uh, you wouldn't actually fix it well because of the sound. The e him, and if you want, the other way to explain this is hava hava emsa. Both that Mishnah and that Brisa are talking about when the string is cut in the middle, right? Mar sava gazrinan, umar savar lo gazrinan. And one sage, right, Rabbi Shimon we're talking about here, holds that in the Brisa, you still can't even tie a knot in the middle because that's what the decree was, right? Because why? Because then maybe you'll come to do it when it's at the bottom, right? In other words, a person is not going to remember. Umar Savar Lo Gazrinan, right? Whereas the other sage, right, which is really the rabbi's opinion here, basically says, no, this is not a gazera uh, that we do. So I, I was so struck again, first of all, this idea of like understanding that, yes, you could do the repair, as the Mishnah says, but you're still not going to get the sound that you need for the music to be the way that you need it. But also, again, this is so not part of what many of our, many people, what their Shabbat is like, right? We just don't play, you know, you know, live instruments. But yet in the temple, in the Beit HaMikdash, having instruments and music as part of your Voda, even on Shabbat, was very, very much part of the experience. Okay. I, I always love the discussion of the instruments in the Beit HaMikdash. I find it to be, on the one hand, so foreign, and on the other hand kind of exactly as we think it should be. Um, I want to jump to the next Mishnah, which is going to lead into a whole other story, but we need the Mishnah to give us a little bit of background about what's going on or the discussion that we're going to get to, which is the crux of what I want to talk about, won't make any sense. Um, it's, not, it's not a pretty Mishnah. Um, the fact that I am talking about it is only because of the coming discussion, because we're talking about warts, and as I've said before, I'm squeamish and I don't like this. So if somebody were to have a wart, and a wart is, so this takes us deep into a discussion of what does it mean to be a Kohen, to be a priest who's performing the service in the temple, right? Because somebody who's got a wart is now not eligible because they have a, a mum, right? It's some kind of disqualification in the context of doing this temple service, right? So you could cut it off on Shabbat, um, you know, by hand in the temple, whatever that means by hand. But you can't use a, you know, a utensil, some kind of tool to get rid of, to cut off the wart, even in the temple, not just, not everywhere else in the country, right? So, so I don't really know what this means. I don't really want to know what this means, how you get a wart off your hand by hand. Oh, yeah. But we're basically, it, we made an executive decision. We're not discussing the warts and wart removal by mouth. It was just <laughs> or like warts it's, on stomach. Although I do think no, some no. of the warts here are actually scabs because like there is a discussion of like you something happens to your back and then it's so I, I'm wondering if sometimes this English translation of wart actually means scab in some of these places. And it is interesting to note that these were things that I'm sure we'll have a different Gemara where we can talk about this more at length. You know, that if you're the hand that was going to actually do the avoda basically can't have a chatzitza on it and warts or scabs or things like that constituted that. Your data, this is the doctor in you coming out, the difference between a scab versus a wart, which I don't want to think about. But what the Gemara does want to think about is the halacha here. And it immediately begins with a question, a contradiction from another Mishnah about 
the practice, meaning forget about the fact that it's dealing with words which we find I find to be gruesome, right? It's really the question is that they were allowed to do this in the Beit Hamikdash and not outside of the Beit Hamikdash and only bayad, only by hand and not with a utensil. But the Gemara comes immediately with a question on this. So the Gemara's contradiction here is that if Erev Pesach falls out on, on, one second, Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat. Okay. Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat. Then you have to bring the Korban Pesach, right? You bring it to the Beit HaMikdash from outside Tchum, right? And then you would presumably need to do whatever cutting off of the wart, meaning apparently part of the Korban Pesach to make it okay for the Mizbeach. And that, in that Mishnah over there, right, which is a citation, it's not, this is not the location of it, right? We're talking about our Mishnah here. Because that story about the Korban Pesach has a wart that you're not allowed to cut off on Shabbat. And so Rebbe Lezer says, they did override it on Shabbat, right? And so, uh, right, Rebbe Lezer Mer, Dochin, that they, that they did override the Shabbat prohibition, right? In which case, our Mishnah here seems to contradict the opinion of the sages there. Why? Because here they used a kli, right? They did some kind of, of cutting off of the wort of the Karban Pesach in a way that was here that we've just prohibited in our Mishnah. Okay, now all of this, as I said, is background to the thing I really want to talk about, which is another story, really, about Abai and Rav Yosef. Okay, so the discussion, so now we're on Kuf Gimel Amud Aleph, and it's, you know, a good, nice discussion here, where there's a whole discussion over whether this is a legitimate comparison, right? That's where they begin. You know, the, is this a, the situation where you could, in fact, talk about the Korban Pesach as an example, as a counter to the Mishnah. So then Rav Yosef, Matziv Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef raised an objection, right, against this explanation that was, again, from the Mishnah, Amr Belezer, Kal v'chomer, umashchita shihi mishum melacha dochat ha-shabbat, eil shemishum shvut, eno din shiidchu ha-shabbat. So what's the point? Rav Yosef says that if, if slaughtering, right, if shchita for a Korban Pesach, which itself is a melacha, Right, meaning a malachah that's prohibited on Shabbat. If you can do shkita for the korban Pesach on Shabbos, because that's what it means, dochat Shabbat, then certainly a prohibition that is a shvut prohibition shouldn't it, um, you know, shouldn't Shabbos not be an issue? If you can even go so far as to kill the korban Pesach, then you should certainly be able to remove the wart from the korban Pesach. Ella Amar of Yosef, but Rav Yosef says a little bit more sophisticated. Ha vaha biyad. So Rav Yosef says, no, one second. Both of these cases are really talking about a wart that is removed by hand, which is a shvut, which again, I don't really want to know what that means on the korban, right? But again, it's a, it's a do-it-yourself kind of type of thing as opposed to the proper formal wart removal system. And then to violate that shvut in the Beit HaMikdash, right? was permitted. And we've been talking about this already for a couple of days, right? The idea that shvut in the Mikdash was allowed, but not outside of the Beit HaMikdash. And so then here, the idea that a shvut that is connected to the Beit HaMikdash, but is handled outside of the Beit HaMikdash, they still did not allow that to happen, right? So these things that were handling the Korban Pesach, which are shvut, but they're handled outside of the Mikdash, 
not okay. You do it inside of the Beit then that would have been allowed, but that's not the point. This kind of thing is, is taking place outside of the Beit before they bring the Korban in. So now we've got this whole, now we've got our nice story, which is what I've been gunning for all this time. Yativ Abaye, Bakamar Laha Shmata. So again, Abaye is sitting amongst the scholars. And, you know, as, as we've heard this kind of buildup of a story of Abaye and Rav Yosef to begin with, there's a discussion amongst the Chazal who are sitting around talking halacha, apparently, right? And so Abaye says this halacha in the name of Rav Yosef. And Rav Safra, eighth day Rav Safra, he raised an objection, right, on this same opinion. Eighth day Rav Safra Labaye, he raised a question on Labaye. Hayako Reba Sefer al Iskupa, Nidgalgela Sefer Miado, Gogolo Etzlo. We read this, we talked about this before, right? If one is reading a book, right, but it's a Torah scroll, right, and they're sitting, there on the threshold of the house and the scroll rolls out of the hand, meaning it's on an incline. And again, he's holding on in one hand and the, uh, and the other hand, I mean, and the other side of the scroll rolls away. Go low, it's low. He can roll it back to himself because he's still holding on and he has been the whole time. So, so here we've got a situation, right, where it is a shvut, right? Hello, this is a shvut, right? The, this idea of, of the scroll itself being um, the idea that you couldn't, that could you handle it or not? If you, Let's say if you would let go of it fully. And the answer is, okay, you, in this case, it's a rabbinic decree, right? And it pertains to the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and we do not say that you can't bring it back to yourself. You, we say that you can, even if it falls down. You know, as long as you're holding on to it, you can bring it, bring it back up. And we don't say, oh, but what if you would forget and then a public domain and a private domain and you'll end up caring for yeah. real. And so the idea being that the Chazal did not, they did not make this shoot a requirement regarding other matters of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, now Abaye comes in and answers up Rav Safra, right? He says, Lo iskupa karmalit. Says, we've already talked about this, right? We know that the Iskupa to begin with is a Carmelite situation, meaning it's not a Dorite. It would never have been a Dorite situation. It's always been a Shavut situation. So the fact that they allowed it, Roshuda Rabim, Overit Lefana. We're talking about a place where there is a Roshuda Rabim, but however much further away. The Kevan de Igrubiado, Afilu Shavut Nami Leka. And so that it, it was never even prohibited by a shvut. So to bring this as an example of a shvut that was not being upheld out in the Medina, out in the country, um, outside of the Bayan Migdash, doesn't apply because it doesn't it doesn't constitute a shvut to begin with. Meaning, and we we Yardena, you and I have discussed this in the in the example of the scroll rolling down the scupa, and we talked about this. So now Safra brings a different uh, different contradiction or different objection from a different Mishnah. So now we've got a different case and it brings it rather beautifully back to the very basics of Hilchot Shabbat, right? You're allowed to bring the Korban Pesach, you're allowed to put it into the oven on Erev Shabbat, just before it's getting dark, right? Meaning, assuming that you've already done the Korban specialties for this korban, right? The sacrificing, sprinkling the bread, and the blood and so on, right? And so what happens? Putting, you know, putting the korban Pesach into that oven um, is in fact, and here's what it says, it's again, this seems to be a violation of a rabbinic decree. 
that is not in a, is not being upheld in the Beit HaMikdash, but it would have been upheld outside the country. And the answer is no, we don't make a problem. We don't, chazal, right, do not issue a decree against cooking the the korban im chashecha, which is a little bit late, right? We don't say, we're concerned that you're going to come to stir up the coals and really, you know, um, really cook, right? That's always a concern of for regular people cooking on Shabbos. But in this case, there's no rabbinic decree prohibiting that same activity because, again, it's related to the Beit HaMikdash. It is a korban, even though it's taking place, and this is the key part that it may not have been evident in the words, it's taking place outside of the Mikdash, but because it's pertaining to the korban, right, it is still acceptable. Now, Ishtik, Abai does not have an answer to this case. So what is Abai going to do, right? And here, the beautiful thing is that he comes and he talks to Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, who has always been his mentor. And as we know, Rav Yosef has not had a forceful memory for much of our Masechet here, right? He the Rav Yosef Amarle. So Rav Yosef, he comes, Abai comes to Rav Yosef and he says to him, Hachi Amarle Rav Safra. He tells him the whole story of what Rav Safra said. Amarle, and, you know, the point being that this seems to be a counter to Rav Yosef's own approach that the Shvut was allowed in the, in, outside of the Beit HaMikdash to begin with. And so why is this a dramatic, you know, um, counterexample? Amar Lei, Rav Yosef says, My tama lo So Rav Yosef says to him, why didn't you answer him up? Why didn't you say that when people get together, right? This is an interesting thing. When people, there's a group and they're participating together in the Korban Pesach and they're all paying very careful attention to all of the details of the Korban Pesach, then they are, then they are zrizin, they are vigilant, right? That they're all paying attention and making sure that the mitzvah is done correctly. And once you're in that group, then once you're in that group, you do not have to worry in the same degree that you might make a mistake or that you might transgress the rabbinic decree, right? Because they're all keeping each other honest, so to speak. And that's why it's not because it's a mikdash thing, it's because it's a group thing, right? And so what we like here about this, of course, is that Rav Yosef has his full faculties. He, you know, he, he tells Abaye, I've got a good answer for you and you should have used this. And that would knock down Rav Safra's question on my position before, right? And the Gemara here continues and says that Abaye did not, in fact, really love this reasoning of Abaye, Koanam's reasoning, Amrina and B'nei Chavarez reasoning, Lo Amrina, he says, well, Shouldn't the Kohanim also have been reason? They should also be vigilant and they're also involved in temple service, right? So then the fact that we've got members of a group who come together for the Korban Pesach, right? Why would that actually be any different? Let me say this a little bit better. Um, Abai thinks that we say that only the Kohanim are in fact reason, And part of that is connected to the fact that they're involved in the, in the Beit HaMikdash. And so they're not going to, you know, end up making a mistake or whatever violation. But when you just have regular people, right, who happen to be a group and they happen to do a Korban Pesach, right, and that's like a once a year type of thing, um, we say that they're not really, according to Abaye, it's not necessarily a given that they would be so makbid and so careful because they're not used to it. And so that even though they, their aim might be to be vigilant, they might not, might, might not actually make it. But this is the Gemara talking about Abai's position and why he might not have used Rav Yosef's rationale to answer up Rav Safra. Again, the part that we like here is that Abai turns to his mentor and his mentor, mentor has a full answer for him, even if Abai himself 
had a question on that answer. And and after all of this, these Gemaras that we've seen of Rav Yosef right, being infirm, it's kind of really nice to see him in, in you know, full force. Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, from a literary point of view, if we say that this Masachat had all these stories about Abaye sort of helping and supporting his teacher, it's sort of lovely to see the Masachat end with the story where the student really had to turn to his teacher for help in understanding something. Yeah, very much so. Um, um, I, I just want to end with one last comment and then I think we'll close out this episode, um, which is, it's also just interesting to note, you know, for a whole masachat that's dealing with space and um, how do different spaces, um, how are they thought of or how can they be manipulated? Um, it's interesting to end with a series of Mishnayos that sort of talk about temple space versus the rest, the rest of the space of, let's say, Eretz Yisrael outside of the temple. And what are the halachic implications of those space? So yes, it's halachic connection or why it's placed in this masachet has to do with the concept of shvut um, and obviously what that means to uh, Hilchot Shabbat and Eruvin is part of Hilchot Shabbat. And I think we mentioned this even at the beginning of the masachet that some people even feel that Shabbat and Abraham may have been one huge masachat together that was sort of split up into two. But I also think there's a piece here of the placement because we're sort of ending with a different concept of space again. Um, and that's really what the overall theme of this masachat is, is really differentiating between different types of space. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us reviews where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, come join us on our, in our Seum. It's coming fast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page. Any questions, any ideas, any concepts that you have about the stories of Rav Yosef and Abaye, the space, the discussion of space, the discussion of music. We'd love to hear from you. Until tomorrow, go and...